0: I always knew that I was going to be an entrepreneur because I loved the idea of like building something from scratch. And I was especially excited about any business that serves
1: women as a consumer. Welcome to Shopify Masters, your companion for starting and building businesses, the podcast brought to you by Shopify. I'm Shuang Esther Shan, and today's episode features Vanita Singh, the co-founder and CEO of Sugar Cosmetics, the beauty powerhouse based out of Mumbai that has taken the Indian market by storm. Sugar earned over $14 USD in 2020 and kicked off 2021 by receiving $21 million in sear see funding. Vanita shares with us the inspirations behind sugar, the importance of understanding consumer needs despite what established production partners might suggest, and the marketing strategies that has built sugar into a beauty industry disruptor. Before we get into Sugar Cosmetics' business journey, I wanted to talk about the Shopify App Store. Shopify Apps helps you easily customize and add features to your store to make it completely your own. The App Store hosts over 4,000 apps, built specifically for Shopify businesses. Shopify developers all over the world build these apps to help you save time and unlock a range of new features, from chatting with customers to offering loyalty points and much, much more. Check out shopify.com slash app store for the latest Shopify apps. Now let's virtually teleport ourselves to Mumbai. Back in 2015, Vanita was running a beauty subscription business and she noticed how some of the products that she was sourcing didn't meet the Indian consumers' needs. The heat, humidity, monsoon season all challenged the wearability of established brands. And their shades and colors were mostly designed with lighter skin tones in mind. So Vanita dreamed of a sweeter solution for fellow Indian consumers and she started Sugar Cosmetics.
0: The premise on which Sugar started was to offer a makeup brand which has products that can really last you from morning 9am to like night because India is generally quite hot, we have the tropical climate and anything that you wear can really melt when you're traveling in like local transport etc. So while we were running our e-commerce business between 2012 and 2015 we realized that there were a lot of millennial women who couldn't find that perfect nude lipstick or a perfect red lipstick there were a lot of colors that were perfect for say caucasian skin but wouldn't work on the deeper indian skin tones
1: i think it's very interesting because Uh, beauty industry is owned by so many big players, large conglomerates, and oftentimes it's based from the Western standard of beauty. So um, the range of selection is very limited for those who are of diverse backgrounds. So branching off from your e-commerce business and you have this idea that um, we will cater to local women How do you even begin to say, okay, I have this good idea, but how do you start contacting manufacturers and talk to chemists to start this creation process?
0: Yes, I think the biggest challenge was to figure out like there are these minimum order quantities when you start and you do, you know, if you're trying to manufacture in one of the larger manufacturing units, then you're saying that, okay, I have to start with say 10,000 units per color and have, you know, have, be confident that you'll be able to really uh, sell all of those out. So some of those challenges you start thinking about only when you first launch your own brand. Uh, so we reached out to uh, one of the largest manufacturers in the world who actually creates for a lot of the brands of L'Oreal, Estee Lauder. So we knew that there wouldn't be any concern with regards to quality. and we had to convince them to actually tweak their formulations and tweak their colors based on our consumer's requirement. And many times they would tell us that, ah, this would not work in India because we have all these customers in India who are actually buying this. So what you're saying is something which is actually very risky. It may not work. And, you know, we would like assure them that we know our consumer, our consumer really likes products, which are extremely long lasting, wants these colors, which could be like very different from the colors that you're actually currently offering to Indian customers, but will really work. So it was uh, the creation process is actually a partnership between the manufacturer and the brand. And uh, in that process, I think most of our manufacturers realize that we are one of those companies that is going to be very anal about every step. So we just wouldn't take like a product which we didn't think 100% met our consumer's requirement and which meant there was a lot of back and forth in terms of you know constant exchanging samples and you know not being able to agree on a color which was like 1% off from the say the perfect red or the perfect fuchsia that we had in mind so in this process we realized that there was some manufacturers that we just couldn't work with because they wouldn't be as flexible and they didn't think that a small company like us would eventually be able to give them the kind of business that actually merited the kind of the amount of back and forths that we were doing. Um, so yeah, it, by elimination we were left with only those manufacturers who were really willing to go that extra mile for us. And luckily we had a couple of them and then they figured that this company is has a very different way of working and they put us through a lot of grind to get their products out. But they were curious, let's see what they're going to build with it because they understood that we are very clear about what we wanted. So we have many such partners who supported us when we were really small and now we're one of their largest partners in India. And you know, they've also, over a period of time, realized that there is a huge market for brands like us that are driven by the need to serve a very specific consumer. And that's ours. You know, for us, it's like a 20 to 27 year old metro uh, millennial who's probably consuming a lot of digital content. She's inspired by global trends, but she wants to still look beautiful. So she wants like a global trend to be Indianized for her. And that's, that's what I think we've been pretty good at doing.
1: I think it's very bold and also very brave for you to stick to what you believe in um i know that you know having a subscription business that probably gave you a lot of insight and data into how your consumers want their makeup to be um was it ever intimidating when you had those feedback from manufacturers asking you to change and they've been telling you that you know different formulations have been successful um how did that make you feel did you ever question your instincts
0: many times yes uh, so for instance Like, you know, I'll give you an example, like our best selling product is this liquid lipstick that's like really matte and extremely long lasting. So you put it and it doesn't come off. Now, when we first started working on liquid lipsticks, this was in 2015 uh, at the time of launching Sugar. And we knew this would be like the perfect product for India because we realized that in India, women wanted like an intense color, which would stay all day. And which was very different from, say, the requirements in other Southeast Asian markets or Western countries and uh, a lot of manufacturers as well as other brands we had spoken to at the time of running our subscription company said that in India, if you are going to put a lipstick in a liquid format, people expect it to be a gloss and if you are actually gonna put such a matte product it would be a shock to a lot of consumers who will end up buying it assuming it's a gloss so this they would tell us that this is a very very counterintuitive thing to do and you're taking a big risk because while there might be a set of women who are inspired by digital trends who know what's happening globally who may get it but what about those Lacks of others who are actually currently buying products based on the traditional idea of beauty and you would really uh, polarize them and they wouldn't be able to relate to this product. I myself had a lot of doubts, you know, I kept rethinking it. Luckily for us, we had our employees were all also women in that same target group that we were addressing as customers. So internally, they were all, they all had the conviction that they'd never used something like this before. And they were very confident that for other women like them, this would definitely be a super hit. Though it's a very small set to actually base your entire launch on. But given the kind of conviction that they had, I was pretty confident that our consumer, who is very similar to this uh, employee of ours, would be able to also discover this product as something. She's never tried before and she would really love it. Everybody thinks it's crazy. Like other brands think it's crazy. Manufacturers think it's crazy, but well, it turned out to be one of our biggest um, sellers. And even now in a lot of like retail chains, like for instance, Lifestyle, Sugars liquid lipstick is the best selling liquid lipstick out of all of them in the market.
1: It's so exciting. Speaking of risk, I know that, you know, the existing e-commerce business was successful in its own right. And then you deciding to create your own brand was also a risk in so many ways because you need to invest money into it. Did it ever feel scary because you're helping all these other brands build out a subscription business? You're, in a sense, competing with them now. So how was that process like?
0: So in the while we were running the subscription business, it was always very tough to get Cosmetics brands to come on board because uh in you know the challenge in subscription is that you have to really subsidize the cost, and which is really possible for a skincare because you just dramatically reduce the size of product. For instance, a product that would otherwise cost 40 dollars, you would say that I will give one-tenth of this, and this would you know be equivalent to a four-dollar product, which can be put in a subscription which is ten dollars for say four products right so the economics of it work out whereas in the case of color cosmetics what happens is that a very large part of the manufacturing cost is actually the components which is the you know do you need a minimum size of the bullet for a lipstick for instance or if you have a mascara or a liquid lipstick there is a wand involved so the size of the component the packaging material is a very significant part of the size of a cost of the product Um, so it's very difficult to say that okay if i sell this product for 40 dollars i can i create a four dollar equivalent of it it's almost impossible so which is why cosmetics brands would mostly have to partner with these subscription boxes with a almost a full size product which meant that the possibility of the subsidy was uh, very low and you know the brands in India didn't have the kind of marketing budgets to really subsidize these costs and which is why for us the challenge was that we had very few cosmetics brands that really saw this opportunity is a good way to reach their customers, which was one of the reasons we actually ended up doing this uh, transition. We realized that, you know, very few cosmetics brands in India care about this digital consumer yet. They still don't think that this consumer who's on Instagram is going to become a big part of their pie in like five years from now. Only now are they beginning to wake up to the realization that it's possible for a brand to actually get a certain scale purely on the back of digital marketing and purely on the back of e-commerce. And now they're waking up to that realization that they have to be prepared for all these uh, changes in the market environment. But yeah, five years back, they they couldn't care less about a startup because they wouldn't think that their market share could be impacted. And which is also correct to an extent because India is a distribution driven market. 93% of Indians still shop in stores as far as beauty e-commerce uh, beauty is concerned and you know most of these stores like almost 60% of this is actually general trade stores for which to build distribution you have to really accomplish a certain scale so like for a large brand like a small company launching on e-commerce wasn't really something they worried much about also we had realized that in India subscriptions not going to scale so if you look at like the largest subscription that are there it's probably a couple of gym Um, chains which also don't have much subscription so India is a market where customers don't want to pay up in advance for a longer duration because they don't want to commit their personal finance second is that India is also a market where you do not cannot bill a card on a recurring basis every month the RBI does not allow that so for a subscription company of any kind you have to actually charge the customer for the whole year in advance so this process was very convoluted, which actually ensured that subscription businesses in India wouldn't scale. So for us, we were saying that, okay, we have one business, which is, you know, for decent scale, but it's not going to become like a hundred million dollar company, which is our aspiration. And then there is this other idea, which is nothing right now, but it has the potential of becoming really big because every like millennial consumer could be our potential customer and everybody buys makeup and that's going to increase in the years to come. We just thought it was worth a shot to actually do the pivot and try it out. I think the biggest challenge was to ourselves because every single time we would have this discussion in our board meeting saying that hey there is an opportunity to create a cosmetics brand should we do it and we'd been thinking about it for almost like two years now and every single time there would be this number that would get thrown around saying that to build a cosmetics you know, brand in India, you need to put in at least $10 million into it because that's the minimum required for a cosmetics brand to scale. And we hadn't raised much. We had raised a very, very small amount of money. So we don't have the $10 million and that's the minimum that you need to actually run a beauty brand in India. And then we sort of started reaching a point where we knew that this is not scaling. So this is our only option so with like far far less than the 10 million dollars we actually ended up launching this saying that okay let's just see how it goes and uh, like i mentioned it was like a small pilot where a couple of people would just started working on it and i would invest some time uh, along with these two people to just get it off the ground and suddenly it started gaining traction and when it started ra- gaining traction like we put it up on we launched our shopify store uh, and then, you know, there's an e-commerce company, which is the largest in the beauty category, Naika, approached us and they said that, you know, do you want to list your products over here because we've had all good reviews about it and we put it on there. And suddenly we started seeing that the numbers were on their own without investing anything in marketing started growing. And that's when we realized that this actually seems like a very, very scalable business. Then, of course, the f- fundraising wasn't a stuff. And eventually we did raise a lot more than $10 million, which actually helped the brand scale very fast in the last two, three years. And even at this rate, we are doubling year on year.
1: Starting a direct to consumer brand in India in 2015 was challenging, to say the least. Purchasing in person dominated how business was conducted. And they were trying to launch beauty products that often required swatching and testing, all of which had to be done in person. But Vanita was convinced that she could convince consumers to move online.
0: So a lot of this convincing actually happened thanks to Facebook and Instagram. Uh, we realized that it's almost impossible. I mean, people want in a makeup, when they're purchasing makeup, they want the comfort of being able to test it in the store and being able to swatch it. And when we launched it, we weren't available in any stores. But there was this growing number of influencers as well as regular consumers who were every day putting up on instagram on facebook pictures of themselves wearing a certain color of sugar lipstick so we had these you know customers really go through this dilemma saying that oh my god i love this color i don't have anything like this there's nothing like this available in the market but I don't want to shop online. And you know, they would like really come to the website two, three times and like not buy it because they weren't really convinced that they could. So we would see that on average, like a customer would probably spend about uh, 65 minutes, which is more than an hour, in you know, uh, two, three different visits before she actually made the decision to buy it. So India is a country where people are risk averse and they're very scared. They were very scared of e-commerce. And so to start with, we had to offer cash on delivery so they could like really pay for the product once they got it. And even then there was a lot of resistance. They would spend a lot of time over many days making that decision to buy one lipstick. And it was very interesting to see you know, this kind of uh, consumer behavior. Now that we have are there in retail, we have realized that it's easier and quicker to scale retail because of the fact that there is at least the whole process of purchase is very natural to the customer. It really comes naturally to her. So yes, we eventually did realize we had to get into retail, but the first two, three years was completely e-commerce for us. And that gave us the opportunity to really figure out how to reach the customer at a very, very uh, minimal cost, how to really convert her in spite of the fact that you couldn't really get her to swatch the product. So now, of course, we have an option on our Shopify store where you can really try the lipstick on and you know, you can see your own face with that color of lipstick, which makes it easier. We didn't have that till last year, but we would still have like Hundreds of images of different women with different skin tones wearing that lipstick so that you knew how it would look on somebody who was similar to you. Uh, We still see that a lot of the conversion came from Instagram and Facebook where we would have, like, a you know, influencer wearing that product and you know, then the customer would just come in and type the name of the color and just blindly buy it based on the fact that the influencer said that this color looked very good on her and so we've been iterating we've also we realized that this customer is very scared of being duped and very scared of getting the wrong color so every month we actually offer exchanges to almost like 200 women who come and say that hey i bought this color assuming it was this shade of red but it's slightly different and i'm not very convinced i wanted like this other one and we just give them a free replacement like no other company does that but we know that we are trying to sell her makeup online so it's not her fault if she doesn't get which exact color it is it is our responsibility to ensure that she understands that this is this color and if because of our inability to show her the exact color and demonstrate it properly uh, we are not able to satisfy her we want to replace we want to make it up to her and I think that really helps us build loyalty because they keep coming back and taking more and more risk and honestly like most customers just are very happy to get that perfect lipstick and then once we're able to get a customer to experience that joy we have her for life now all of this is harder to do in store where you don't, you're you literally fighting with everybody else for that attention of the customer. And it's so much easier to do this on our own platform where, you know, she's yours for that time that she's over there.
1: You've certainly removed so much friction and also just made people really comfortable with the idea. So initially when you started, what kind of marketing strategies did you deploy?
0: We didn't have much money. So we were, had to be very efficient with every single dollar that we spent. So it was completely like, you know, performance marketing and it was completely like measuring every single dollar spend in terms of, okay, what is my CAC? What is my average order value? What's my conversion rate? You know, what's like, you know, how can I like, so if I started with $10,000 per month, if I'm going to take it from 10000 to $15,000 a month, first I have to optimize my campaign at 10000 Only when it becomes efficient, I know that, you know, there is, I'm investing X, to acquire the customer and she's spending a total of Y on me over like a 12 month period and then the economics make sense. So a lot of uh, the investments that we did in the first two, three years were just that, you know, just like performance marketing on primarily on Facebook, a bit on Google and very small amount on instagram so we'd started with a very very small amount of money i think it was probably um you know maybe ten thousand dollars or something a month and we uh, we scale it like by a very very small amount every month after we had we were confident we'd optimized it i think in the last two years what has really changed for us is that we've gone from the position that you know, this is we have to make every dollar count to saying we want to build a brand. And that transition has happened in the last uh, 18 months or so. And that's been a very important transition as far as our marketing team is concerned, because now we're not necessarily thinking about every single dollar leading to a sale. But we're saying that, you know, we will divide our marketing budget into parts there'll be parts which are long-term initiatives so for instance one of them is content marketing so now we've started investing on a lot of high quality content that goes up on youtube on instagram we have a blog now on our own uh, sugarcosmetics.com and all of these are not initiatives that are easily measurable in the short term but they help us stay more relevant in the long term so when i get a youtube video which has like 7 800,000 views. It's not really impacting sales, but it's something that you know helps us get reach, uh, get the brand to those 7 800,000 women who wouldn't otherwise be shopping us. And we assume that you know we keep reaching them over a period of time and then we're getting more mind share, and over a period of time, they would consider sugar. Similarly, we've just started doing a lot of brand marketing investment, which is beyond digital which is for instance like you know we did like massive out-of-home campaigns which was including like in malls on like on the western express highway and you know in strategic locations in the city we've started doing some uh you know collaborations with celebrities where we have specific ranges that we are doing along with them so these are initiatives which are very different from what we were doing one and a half year back. But I think as we grow, we want to, we realize that just by purely optimizing your Facebook and Google ad spend, you cannot really build a brand because at the end of the day, the number of people that you're reaching is just those who are shopping online. And now that we see ourselves as a brand that can potentially, you know, really talk about having significant market share in india we have to get more and more of mind share of a larger base of consumers and not just those who are shopping online already
1: i want to talk about that because i feel like it's very hard for someone to switch mind gears that way like you mentioned you know being a digital brand first You used to be able to basically be very intimate with how everything you've invested would pay off. So how did you become comfortable to say, I'm going to let go and actually invest in the brand where I don't see the performance right away?
0: So it has been a challenge. I mean, internally also, we're always arguing that. So like, for instance, right now is a time when we are making next year's plan. And every time you, you know, work on your annual plan, you carve out budgets for each kind of marketing. And then you have like proportionately, what is the revenue that's coming from your own website? What's the revenue coming from other e-commerce? What's the revenue coming from retail? And it's just so much easier to say that, okay, let me just increase this performance spend a bit by X and I will get, you know, X more. Whereas you can't do that with your ATL spend, for instance, you're like, OK, I can increase my ATL spend by, you know, ten million dollars. But still, I'll be, you can't say what's the impact on the revenue. So it's for a brand which really cares about scaling up revenue uh, and doesn't have like unlimited budgets. It is quite hard, uh, honestly. And we are always uh, battling with that. I think we came to a point where we decided to make the switch when we realize that there is a cap to how much you can continue spending uh, performance mar- on performance marketing and still continue being efficient. You know, as you scale, it's like when you first start spending $10,000 to 20000 30000 there's a journey that you go through and up to every brand has a certain number beyond which every additional spend actually gets you only that much in revenue so you know you reach a point where you're saying that okay i will spend my hypothetically my cost of customer acquisition per order is for instance say 20 dollars, right and that average order value is also 20 dollars so brands very quickly reach that stage when you realize that your cac is equal to aov which is your average order value and when you have that moment i think that's a very uh like a epiphany of sorts, because then you realize that beyond this, it's just not going to make sense. You know, why would I spend twenty dollars to acquire a customer who's spending twenty dollars and uh, on 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 the website? Because next time when she's going to shop, also it's not that she's going to come. She is likely to come and uh, buy on her own. But there's also a chance that she may forget about us. So we may have to spend again to get her to make that repeat purchase. So the economics of it start looking very challenging. And we just didn't want to go down that road where we said that for every additional uh, dollar that I spend on performance, I I will make only one dollar. We've always wanted it to be like two dollars, like, you know, every uh, if my CAC is 20 dollars, my average order value should be 40 dollars. The moment it sort of starts, the equation is not working it's a channel where we need to think about something else. So that actually led us to the drawing board where we said that, okay, blind performance marketing doesn't make sense. So then what else do we do? First thing we did was content marketing, because that actually made a huge difference in the conversion rates and things. So we again got back to that equation where we're saying you're spending $10 getting $20. And then uh, I think over a period of time, just our revenue share of our entire business that came from pure e-commerce and pure our own website also started reducing because of the fact that we really were building distribution. So if you see today, we probably do only 25% of our total business on our own e-commerce website. And so when that remaining 75% is happening beyond sugarcosmetics.com, then you start you know saying that, okay, now what is the performance marketing equivalent for retail? So then we started first thinking that, okay, if I put up a, like a, you know, makeover counter at the entrance of a mall, does that help me drive sales in my shopper stop counter or my own store? And we saw, yes, it's probably not as efficient as that Facebook ad, but it does help. And it's a different channel, it's a different consumer completely. So this You know, these sort of interventions, which were more like performance marketing in retail is what we started with. We started doing these makeovers. We started doing like a banner very close to our store. So we were still like not generally investing in the brand, not doing ATL uh, above the line marketing, but just doing some, you know, BTL promotions that could drive sales in our stores. So we started doing performance marketing for retail. And that's how we looked at it. And that didn't feel as scary. You know, that transition did not feel because it was still slightly measurable. It's been a long
1: journey. Yeah. Uh, It feels like there's a constant theme because, um, you know, with anyone, they would have been satisfied with a subscription business, but you felt like, And you've seen that there's a limit and then with a digital brand you've seen the limit of just targeting online and then you see the limit of you just advertising within your own retail uh, space so it seems like you're constantly almost moving the goal post for yourself I mean does it ever get daunting that you are also always changing the goals for yourself and also sugar
0: there was this moment when we decided that from thinking about sugar being a niche digital brand we could actually imagine a situation where it would like really give like the top three brands a run for its money and that started happening when uh, so one of our first retail partners was this uh, department store called lifestyle it's a you know chain which has about 70 stores in india and uh, you know so they have like a similar setup like an equivalent of say a nordstrom or a macy's uh, where you have like a whole counter where you have your own promoter yeah. we launched in you know they gave us a pilot saying that we'll put you in five stores we'll see how you do and then we'll decide what's gonna happen the moment we went live in those five stores, uh, we realized that within like a few uh, months of launching, we we started like moving from rank nine in the store to rank eight to rank seven. If we just extrapolated, and every store we are present in, if we are able to become rank four, and then you know build distribution, and then like you know every year we are just trying to increase one rank. It's suddenly the journey from us, which is a small brand to uh, the market leader, which is a very large brand doesn't seem as far. You know, there are these steps in between and we can just, we just have to keep making some progress. And luckily the market is also growing so fast that you're not always trying to take up away from others pies, but the whole pie is also growing. So all of the, the whole macroeconomic factors combined with the results that we were seeing in a smaller set were actually gave us that conviction that what we've been thinking about sugar being a digital brand, uh, you know, a D2C company which could actually scale to a certain scale um, is probably, you know, a goalpost which is not as aspirational as it could be. We've like really created something that has potential to actually compete you know, overall in terms of the market with like the largest of brands. And I think it was a good change in our mindset because of the fact that in due course, I've seen that a lot of um, like D2C companies that have tried to stay D2C in India have struggled to scale beyond the point because although digital is a huge opportunity, like I keep saying that thing, 90% of Indians are still shopping in stores. And that's going to take really long. So if you're anybody who's trying to say that, okay, I'm going to build at least a $100 million business, they're not going to be able to do it purely online. It's just very, very hard uh, to do it as pure D2C. So if you are, you know, if the aspiration is to say that, yes, this is a niche brand and my aspiration is to build a $20 million business, then D2C is best because you don't have to go through the the very, very long, um, you know, tough process of converting retailers and distributors. And it's better to just do it like, you know, companies like Shopify make it very easily to go from zero to $20 million and just by you know investing heavily on digital and like giving great customer service. I think just these two can help you scale to that, but that 20 to 100. Is something that you have to then think about saying that do i want to do that and if i want to do that then it's a uh, like a uh, there is no option but to also go offline and uh, yeah and then that's like a different journey that you have to embark so for us that pilot at lifestyle made us realize that this is way bigger than we thought it could be and we said that okay let's not settle for 20 million let's settle for like a much much larger number and now we think of it like as a company that can potentially do an IPO and that's that's where our potential like our, our dream actually is with sugar
1: that's so exciting. I love just like watching you talk about the, the different goalposts because I can sense your excitement and it's just really, really cool to hear and also witness this. Um, so when you do decide to d- decided to go to retail, like what was that process like? And talk about, I guess, how your retail mix is right now, you know, because you've mentioned pilot projects, retail partners, and I'm sure you probably have your own like locations and stuff like that.
0: The start was very tough uh, retail because at the end of the day you do have a product that is differentiated it does well and uh, whereas in retail everything is like you know there is a big limitation on self shelf space so it's all about like getting somebody else's shelf space right now uh, so it was quite hard just that it was luckily happened at a point where uh, so revlon has been struggling in india and they were like moving out of some stores in modern trade and that's how our partnership actually with lifestyle worked out because you know they decided that in five of these counters where revlon was moving out they could give like this small brand a chance and that was a very it was a coincidental situation where otherwise we would have been much harder we would have to wait much longer so i think the you know starting point is very tough in retail because at the end of the day you are substituting another brand and though there's always a churn of brands happening there's a very very large waiting list of new brands that want to get in there and it's not just new brands for a market like india where a lot of international brands hadn't yet made their foray you were competing with new brands as well as international brands which were now moving in and a retailer would any day prefer an international brand because it's so much easier to sell in a market like india people have that aspiration that oh this is a you know american brand or a european brand so it's tougher to get the shelf space when you're fighting against a potential international brand But once you've broken in, the good thing is that cosmetics is like the ground floor, prime space in every store. So the kind of visibility that you get once you're able to crack your first few accounts is incredible because, you know, it's like just just like the most prime space in every single mall and that gets you noticed by a lot of others who then start like you know these general trade stores which then say that oh this brand is then in a modern trade format in a mall and you know i saw it and it was like the counter had lots of consumers and then they start saying okay maybe i want to take distribution of this brand in this particular city and then you start so the way we've seen it is that you know modern trade which is basically malls is very expensive and it's really hard to get into but once you get into that it helps you with your general trade distribution so general trade is your traditional you know those smaller stores those local stores that are that you reach through a distributor and that's where which is a very very scalable and profitable business and this really this this pilot which was expensive um and it's you know still barely profitable like our modern trade channel has helped us get through um, to general trade now while we didn't think about our own stores as a potential channel uh, we had just you know somebody had come up with this opportunity and we just decided to do a pilot we realized that our ability to control like the experience was so high in our store it's like basically saying what you can do on sugarcosmetics.com like in 200 right because you can do all of that like you can offer free exchanges you can offer uh, you know the best kind of customer service your largest mix of products but you can also have a makeup artist doing a makeover there you can also have somebody coming and trying out and just sitting in your store for the longest time learning about products and stuff so we launched our first store just as a experiment but we realized that it's a great brand building opportunity where you're able to get customers to come and stay be in your store for a long time you're able to actually get them to uh, try multiple sugar products often we would just you know do a makeover and say you know you just don't need to buy anything you can just get a free makeover done and then they would later on come back and say oh my god i got so many compliments for this lipstick i want to buy it so that sort of a experience was very exciting for us. And we started using these as opportunity to also create a lot of content. So we would call influencers to our own store, do like this mini activity with them. We would shoot those videos, put it on our Instagram channel. So it was our own store turned out to be a good uh, place for us to really learn more about the customer and also give a better experience. And as it turns out, the economics of this were actually quite good it was better than you know some of the traditional channels that we had so we currently have about 35 of our own stores and the idea is that in the next 12 months to go to 100 so it's a very very um, aggressive expansion plan there because that's a channel where you're saying i get mix of both i do like great customer service brand building plus the economics are good Um, So our mix in retail is essentially, as of now, about 50% comes from general trade, about 30% from modern trade and 20% from our own stores. But we're expecting that our own stores, the mix would actually increase and, uh, you know, general trade would also continue. We'd probably reduce the share from modern trade because we've got the benefit of it, but it's still a very, very... Uh, the economics of it are still very challenging so you know we want to like next year we want to have a very massive budget for ATL brand building which means that every channel has to be very profitable so we're focusing more on those the more profitable channels and less on the less profitable ones
1: the scaling sounds very exciting it's also very um intimidating to think that within a year you'll go to a hundred stores from 35
0: yeah so the team's not yet agreed to this (laughs) goal i'm still trying to convince them that this would be a great you know place to be because there are of course challenges you're you know trying to get more space um is harder but in There are so many malls that have recently come up, especially in non metros, like in India, there is this whole, like metros is where most of the shopping happens, but there's an emerging population of tier two, tier three cities, which have the ability to have one or two malls, which would really like, you know, do a lot of the cities, like, you know, where all the premium brands of the city would reside. So where that is makes me believe that we do have the opportunity to say that, okay, I may not, out of my 100 stores, I may have only about 40, 50 in metros, but then these tier two, tier three cities can account for maybe 50 more stores. And this is a you know number which will keep growing.
1: In 2021, Sugar Cosmetics can be found at over 10,000 retail touch points all over India. Along with their impressive 21 million USD funding in Series C, Vanita credits two important business lessons she's learned along the way for scaling sugar into what it is today.
0: One of my biggest learnings has been that market size is important. I mean, you know, how big the market is of the category that you're building, which was the learning from the whole subscription business that's that's always going to be really important and there is no way to uh, you know uh, uh, to bypass that to say that i'm a small company and i'm going to create a market which is going to become from zero to x you know million dollars is a very big challenge i mean you it's it's better off when you're saying that okay let me leave the market size creation to the larger players and let me just ride the wave with them and just you know, sell better products that that I think is a, a much easier approach. So I think that's that's been one. Uh, second, There have been a lot of uh, lessons around, you know, pricing. I think India is a market where like the success of every single product also depends a lot on the pricing. So, you know, we are always trying to say that tell our customers that, you know, you spend like two dollars more than what's available in the market and it'll give you a product which is like three times better in quality and now while that has worked and people are okay with spending that two dollars it's really very very category driven so we've seen that you know there are certain categories like for instance a mascara where it's like you know consumers are like i use so much of a say a mascara or a kajal that whatever happens i will not spend that two dollars extra because i'm using this product like you know so many times a month and i'm running through bottles of mascaras and kajal pencils every month and i'm not gonna change my budget significantly and i think a lot of brands end up going wrong with their pricing And then they have to figure out very deep discounting, which then means that the customer gets used to buying you only at the time of a price promotion, which becomes a zero sum game. So then you are perpetually not able to sell to the customer when you're not discounted. So we strongly believe that discounting should not be a lever. And you know, at the time of pricing, it's important to figure out for every single category, what will be the most Like, you know, perfect price, which if you price less than that, the customer thinks that it's not good enough. If you price more than that, she's not going to buy it. That perfect price is something which is worth thinking a lot more about than we do. And once you do that, then you don't have to discount. Then you can do like a lot more without, you know, falling into the trap of discounting, which I think a lot of e-commerce companies do, which is you know, for a brand, which becomes very challenging because once you start doing retail, then the retail stores are like, Hey, you're always discounted online. And then the online stores are like, Hey, you're always discounted. So price parity becomes very important. So I think step one, get the price absolutely right. And step two, like don't use price promotion as a constant sales driving lever, because that's like a zero sum game
1: because pricing you know is not just a number it's almost your identity because it kind of finds you the place in the market and how the consumer perceives you absolutely yeah so it's it's a you know
0: like just slightly lower and you become like a, a mass brand and like slightly higher and then you become an unaffordable brand so yeah just getting that positioning correctly is quite important.
1: Lastly, I wanted to ask, you know, um, as someone who uh, was recent grad or, you know, entering the real world, um, you could have gone another path and gotten a comfortable corporate job, etc. What do you think it made you decide to go into entrepreneurship? I, you know, graduated
0: from IIT and then I went to IM Ahmedabad where I had an investment banking job, which was like very well paying at that point of time. You know, at that time, I was 23 when I was making this decision to not take up a job and start up. I I knew that I always knew that I was going to be an entrepreneur because I loved the idea of like building something from scratch and i was especially excited about any business that serves women as a consumer because i would personally uh, you know travel i had traveled for my internship um, in london i was there in london for a month and new york for a month and i would just go to retail stores and realize that the, the difference in the kind of shopping experience and the kind of brands and the kind of products that you have as a consumer um, in like Europe and the US is very different from in India in India you know it was still like uh, the you know as a customer you just had limited options and for me the question was always when not really what so I always knew I'm gonna be an entrepreneur and but when should I do it should I like work for 10 years have some savings and then do it or should I like you know start off right after uh, college and this the answer to this question actually um, came through like a lot of conversations with alumni and uh, you know with people where I realized that the more you work for a company, the harder it becomes to quit because you have a lot more at stake. And there's always going to be like, you know, if I stay one more year, I'm going to get that bonus and I'm going to get that promotion and then one more year and then and then, you know, that that they call it the golden handcuffs. That's when I thought that if. You know right now I have I didn't I had like you know parents who were fairly like financially stable so I didn't have any uh, major liabilities and I thought that I had like you know a lot of passion for creating something so if I do it now I would literally have nothing at stake you know I would have not have to think about giving up on anything because I'm just not even like experiencing what it's like to have like a regular salary and and i think so first few years it was very hard because you have your batchmates who are doing so well and you know they're earning and they are investing in a house and you know like uh, b- buying a car and they can do like you know more international vacations and stuff and so the first few years it was very challenging because you just felt like you were always like you know hand to mouth and always almost broke Um, And, you know, you would, I would really question whether I made the right decision, Um, but I think, yeah, in the last few years, it's finally all coming together and I, you know, have gone through so many years of like, you know, not getting it right. I, I don't think any entrepreneur can have the pleasure of creating something which is you know uh massive and creating something valuable without having to go through those painful days of not knowing how they're gonna meet the payroll or how they're gonna make ends meet i think entrepreneurship comes with a lot of the struggles and then like the some upside so it's not something that anybody can um you know think about taking you have to like really be prepared for you you can't go into it saying that i'm going to try it for two years i know a lot of people who say that i'll try it for two years if it doesn't work out i'll take up a job if you have that deadline it's not going to work out so might as well not put in those two years it's going to take longer if you're not enjoying the journey and if you're not excited about the everyday process of building then it's never worth it then you might as well take up a job and not You know, waste your years trying to create that you have to be you have to really love every day of what you do and that whole ups and downs should be something that you
1: enjoy uh, if you want to become an entrepreneur I think that's that's my biggest takeaway amazing and I feel like that echoes in a lot of people I talk to it's it's as if it's it is just who they are it is their life all right Awesome. Well, thank thank you so much, Vanita. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy schedule and sharing your story. I cannot wait to see where Sugar does next.
0: Great. Thank you so much, Vang. I really enjoyed this. And once again, thank you so much to Shopify for partnering us through this growth journey.
1: Thank you for joining us on this episode of Shopify Masters. My name is Shuang. If you enjoyed Vanita's journey of building sugar cosmetics and want to share her story with fellow entrepreneurs, please give us a review on your listening platform so the show can be discovered by other business owners. Until next time on Shopify Masters.